The Healthcare Quality Cast is powered by the Quality Coaching Company. If you'd like to work with us to earn your Lean Six Sigma for healthcare certification or partner with our innovative corporate training and coaching programs to successfully scale your continuous improvement initiatives, then click the link below to learn more and apply. Hey, quality people, welcome to the Healthcare Quality Cast. I'm your host, Jarvis Gray, and in this podcast, we spotlight today's most exciting and inspiring industry leaders. We dive deep into the career journeys of these leaders that work daily to improve quality, safety, and service outcomes for their patients, their family members, and their communities at large. Our mission is to provide motivation and direction to our listeners, encouraging you all to continue your efforts in improving the overall quality of healthcare. Now, let's meet today's quality guests. So on the line today, we have Mr. Charles Chuck DeBusk. Chuck, are you ready to share with some quality people? I'm Jarvis, I am. I'm excited about the opportunity. Perfect. Well, we're excited to have you on. Um, I, I'm very much looking forward to this show and, and hearing so much of the um, stories, experiences, just the knowledge you have to share with our listeners. And um, Chuck, we love to start every show with positive affirmations to really get the momentum going. would love for you to share um, a, a favorite quote or a favorite mindset, uh, but also share with us how do you apply it on a daily basis. So one one of the the quotes that that I use a lot when uh, when I'm presenting and and really I think it's probably my all time favorite um, is as a dreamer of dreams and a traveling man I've chalked up many a mile read dozens of books about heroes and crooks and I've learned much from both of their styles and if you're a parrot head you'll recognize that from Jimmy Buffett's uh, son of a son of a sailor uh, but to me that idea of you know casting a wide net, looking for different perspectives, whether they're heroes or crooks, and looking at, you know, learning, uh, to me, that is critically important. If you're trying to understand a situation, um, you need that wide net of perspectives in order to truly understand it, and it's very easy to get locked into one track. So um, I use that to remind myself, and I, I try to remind other people I work with, um, you have to look far and wide in order to uh, truly see the landscape. Well, I love it. And, you know, when you think about some of the things we do as quality professionals in healthcare, um, that is no small statement because there are so many perspectives within that environment. So a perfect quote to get us started. Chuck, I would love to um, really understand what was your introduction to quality. And, and I'll be honest, I um, believe we crossed paths at a conference some years ago. Um, I reached out and connected with you through LinkedIn. But even preparing for today's call, just um, going through, you know, your experience, you are, you know, one of the folks that like, I'm looking up to to say I want to be you and as I keep progressing through my career. Um, would love to learn your introduction to quality, um, what led you into your career path and your, your exceptional career that you've had, and um, how, how did you get started? Well, Jarvis, I, I appreciate that. And I think uh, like a lot of people in the, the quality profession in healthcare, you know, I came at it sort of obliquely. Um, you know, first, uh, for your listeners, I'm a process engineer by trade, um, and I paid for my college by working in cooperative education where you go to school a semester and work a semester. 
Um, this was back in the mid-70s when times were tough, companies were cutting back on their co-op programs, but Roanoke Memorial Hospital uh, in Roanoke, Virginia had a co-op program. Um, I went to school not far from there, so and the whole idea of applying what I was learning in school to healthcare, um, which at that time was very non-traditional for process engineers, um, was really intriguing. And so as I worked there, what I, you know, as I improved processes, which was kind of what I was, you know, all about in my, you know, 20s, um, I suddenly started to see that by improving those processes, it made it possible to avoid mistakes. It made it possible for patients to have a better experience. Um, for patients not to have things go wrong. And and really, you know, that is today what we think of as healthcare quality. Now, I will say back in the 70s, you know, healthcare quality was more about quality assurance versus those kinds of things. But But over time, I came to realize that the most good a person can do in terms of process is the processes that affect the patients. And that, you know, that affects their both their experience, but also their care. Um, and and today we we think much more about that as real healthcare quality. And let me ask: so, where are you uh, career-wise? Where are you at now? Um, from you know healthcare to it looks like maybe even launching out in your own endeavors. And, and what are driving? I guess some of the passions and um, the the why on continuing to push in this this profession. Sure. Um, so really, most of my you know forty plus year career um, has been spent in healthcare. I have done you know a few other things from time to time, um, but uh, the last eleven years I spent with a hospital management company, being responsible for a bunch of clinical areas and uh, a process improvement. And frankly, as as I've gotten older, I've gotten to the point where I, I still love the work. I love working with people to improve their processes and improve the, the care they deliver to patients, um, but I, I was able to kind of um, break away from, you know, working for an organization as an employee and, and have my own little firm where um, I got to work with, you know, one or two customers at a time and mm-hmm. and just focus on the work, which um, to me, it's, you know, that's the thing where you really get the gratification. And I think for many of your listeners, uh, I'm sure they get much more gratification from the work they do than for from the organization. Yeah, and it's it's kind of the the double edged sword. You have to partner to to do the work, and uh, until you get to a point of exactly where you are. So again, I, I, you know, as I got this show up and running, and kind of went through so many of my contacts and, and came across your name again, um, Chuck, I, I just immediately was like, I gotta figure out how to get you onto the show. So I appreciate. Um, just that that introduction and the the career path and letting us know that there is long term um, success, long term longevity to be had there. Want to throw the next question at you, Chuck, and and we're going to kind of go to the dark place in in uh, the career path here. But would love for you to share with us maybe uh, a moment that you would consider your worst moment as a healthcare quality leader, and, and really you know share with us a story, some of the um, you know, decision processes and mindsets that you went through to um, face the situation and, and hopefully turn it around. Well, Jarvis, uh, you know, I was I was thinking about that, and I guess in some ways I've been fortunate that I haven't kind of had that many horrible 
um, situations. Now, you know, in saying that, believe me, I've, I've seen a lot of things that make me sick to my stomach in terms of what's happened. But, um, you know, one of the things that I think about had a really profound effect on me. Um, I was working with a group of, of hospitals emergency departments on throughput issues, leave without being seen, you know, time in the ED, um, you know, kind of door to dock, you know, those kinds of patient experience and, you know, for an ED kind of ED process quality issues. Um, and having, you know, I was doing that for, you know, more than, more than a year, let's say, you know, a long period of time, when I suddenly realized that in a different part of the organization, they were heavily focused on sepsis, as, you know, probably a lot of people that, that would listen to this um, are today. Um, and, and what was striking is, Patients who were coming to the emergency department, a number of them, far too many, would come with sepsis and go into septic shock. Um, there were all kinds of issues around getting antibiotics on time and and doing today. Uh, we probably most people probably have some sort of sepsis protocol, but um, initiating that protocol and and carrying it out in a reasonable amount of time, and it was just shocking to me. You know, here I was working to do one thing. And literally patients were, you know, in some cases, unfortunately, dying, but certainly having, you know, suboptimal care um, in the same area I was supposed to be improving the processes, and, you know, sepsis is process. I mean, the treatment of sepsis is definitely a very clear kind of process, um, and there's a, you know, very prescribed way to go about it. The science is there. Um, it's about the execution of that process. Um, and, and that was honestly just a horrible feeling for me to, to think that, you know, here I was thinking I was doing something really good, and, and we were doing something good, but but we were missing the the bigger picture. Um, and so, fortunately, uh, I was able to approach the other part of the organization and kind of work my way through some of the politics and and some of that stuff, and and offer to help and get involved and and with my team. Um, we were able to kind of turn that around in a in a reasonably short period of time, um, but you know I still even to this day when I think about it I reflect you know how many patients had bad outcomes that could have been prevented had we been kind of focused on a wider kind of again that wider net of what's going on right in front of us and and to me it, it was a real wake up call that when you're working with somewhere or they have problems. They probably have problems in a lot of areas, and you can't just, you know, focus myopically on one thing and think you're fixing things. You gotta really look at look at the whole picture, and you know, it, it, it at the end of the day, it still comes back to the patients. You know, it's all about the patients and the care they receive, and fixing one part without fixing, you know, something like sepsis um, definitely doesn't get the job done. So. Um, like I said, that was that was. I don't know that that maybe was the worst experience I ever had, but certainly something I've carried with me for a long time. Well, and you know, in all fairness, too, I definitely still hear the impact you know uh, that it had on you as you shared that story. But it very much um, connects me back to your favorite quote: just the the need to see different perspectives on you know for that situation at least in that project environment. Yeah. Um, so I, I can see how I can see how the quote and the story starts to connect with you. Any any big picture takeaways that you love for our quality listeners, our quality people to get from your story? Um, I think the 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 big 
picture is to think about things and the interconnectedness. Um, you know, I was focused on kind of things like how fast do you get to see a doctor, but I wasn't connecting all the dots in, with sepsis protocols, which is also involved about how quick you see a physician and how quick, you know, antibiotics get ordered, et cetera. Um, and, and that was, it was simple. It was right there in front of me and I was kind of missing that boat. So, you know, my kind of advice to people is when you're working on one thing, make sure you see all the things around it because it's easy to get focused in our day-to-day -day lives and people come to us and they say, I've got a problem with X and you start working on X and you don't realize they need Y and Z too in order to, to make things really better for the patients. Absolutely. Wonderful takeaway there. It's the uh, seeing the trees for the forest concept, but I love it to connect all the dots there. Exactly. All right. So, Chuck, let's uh, let's move off of the worst moments. And we, again, we, we thought that's a good question because, you know, as the quality improvement professionals that we are, you know, we have the wins and the losses. And to your reflection, even the losses tend to stay with us. So we always like to learn from those moments, but then we try to turn the rest of the conversation um, uh, into concepts and to, you know, parts of the conversation that will be highly productive, lessons learned, and things that hopefully some of our folks, our listeners can plug into. So next question that I have for you is um, would love for you to give our quality people a tip, a tool, a tactic that you found that works really well when building intimate uh, connections within project teams that you've led, and um, what is it, and how do you apply it? Well, uh, Jervis, I mean, you really hit on something that, that's critical, right? You know, what, what we used to say uh, in my uh, my department and a couple organizations, any problem you can fix by yourself is probably not worth fixing. Um, and it's all about that team and, and leading that team. And, and first, I would say just the, the most simple thing, you know, building a connection is about listening. Um, and, you know, that's, we hear that all the time, but listening is a lot harder than than talking or telling. So um, I would say showing up, being present, listening is, you know, a, a critical skill. But as for a tool, I like a tool called Grippy, um, G-R-P-I, Goals, Roles, Process, Interpersonal Relationship. And and your listeners can Google it. It's, you know, it's it's been around for a while. Many of them may know it. But I religiously use that at the beginning of a, an effort with my project team and at least in the middle. Sometimes I'll use it four or five times, but it, it gives me a structured way of kind of assessing where the team is, and it also gives me a way to open a dialogue. So, uh, you know, I mentioned before I'm a process engineer by trade, and I guess I'm a process engineer by personality. Um, so I tend to not be, you know, be a little more on the introverted scale. So I find a tool like this really helps me kind of open that dialogue and connect, and it does it in a very structured way, which um, for me is really helpful versus just, you know, kind of drawing out people. It gives me that tool to do it, um, and I can plot over time with my team, you know, where they are on these things, and I can see, you know, the ups and downs as people either kind of lose their understanding of their goal or their role, where the interpersonal relationships start to uh, either get better or sometimes get worse. Um, but it gives me kind of a measurable tool that I can I can see all of those things with. Oh, that's a uh, that's a wonderful tool and a, a wonderful tip there. Um, I'm, I'm familiar with Grippy, but I've not used it 
probably since learning about it through much of my training, but what I remembered, and I think a number of the things you hit on there, sir, is um, that tool I think was really good, what I remember at least, for monitoring your team development. So as your team is coming together and you're, you know, defining those goals and roles and things, um, you as a facilitator get a really good post check on, you know, where the team is with development. But then also as the team starts having conflict, which comes naturally and it's not a bad thing, but, you know, you're able to kind of quickly diagnose or, or bring the team back around Again, those goals and roles and, you know, the processes that the team's going to use to get the work done. So those are some of the things I remember about Grippy. Um, would that be kind of a fair summary there? Absolutely. That's a great summary. And, and you're right. It's, the team is going to go through stuff as it, as it matures. Um, and, you know, some people are naturally good at kind of shushing that out by talking to people um, others of us you need a more kind of structured tool, and, and to me, that's the best one I have found. Look forward to kind of drafting up and maybe finding some resources when we pull together the show notes behind this conversation. So that that's perfect. That that's like a blast from the past for me. So I could probably relearn that myself. Um, next question that I have for you, Chuck, is would love for you to take us on one of the best aha moments that you've had as a quality professional. But um, uh, again, you know, walk us through. Um, how that idea kind of came to you, the thought processes that you had behind it, and, and hopefully um, if you were able to turn it into a personal or professional success. The um, I, I, I'm not sure I'm, I've truly had an aha moment where, like, I had a brilliant idea. I, I would say that um, in all of my experience, most of the things have come through that working with the team, um, coming up with ideas, and really applying concepts I've learned either in, you know, past projects or um, in other, you know, places. And to that extent, I, one of the things that kind of profoundly changed the way I approach a number of um, what we might call quality situations in, in healthcare um, is back in the, uh, you know, early part of this century, back in 2000, 2001, when I learned um, Six Sigma tools. So, you know, Six Sigma relies heavily on statistics, which as an engineer, you know, I certainly studied statistics in college. Um, but one of the things I began to connect the dots on um, is that things like VAP or CLAPC, um, those are things that where the effect is separated in time from the cause, right? Unlike, um, you know, Toyota, where you can go out on the assembly line and you can see somebody put a tire on wrong with bloodstream infections, you can't see an infection start. Now, you can see a person maybe not have the right technique, but that may or may not cause an infection. So that idea of being able to use statistics and, and certain tools to kind of connect the dots to say that, you know, patients who are on 5 North um, have a much higher incidence of infections than patients who are on 2 South and then start to understand that on 5 North the technique is different. That was that was huge for me. That helped me really approach issues like, say, BAP, which which I did a lot of work with kind of earlier in 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 my uh, process career. It helped me really understand and, and have a tool to approach those. But but it made me so much more effective because I started using science to connect the effects to the causes, whereas before um, I was you know kind of more throwing things against the wall. So so for me. I feel like a lot of the work that I was able to do to kind of 
fix those things or work with organizations to fix those things um, came through that learning that set of tools. So uh, I, I guess that would be my part of my aha. No, it's, it's a wonderful aha, especially, you know, one of the big trends that I'm seeing in healthcare right now is um, so many um, teams and organizations just wanting to do lean and kind of a lean-only mindset. Um, and it kind of gets us away from the data, the fact-driven approach like you just shared. So I think that is a huge message to um, to any of our listeners who, you know, working with teams that are only in the lean mindset. And, you know, lean doesn't always focus so much on the data, definitely compared to Six Sigma. I think that's a great aha is to do we still have to uh, remain fact-driven, remain data-driven. Yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. Lean, really, if you think about how lean came about, um, which is, it's not that it's bad, but it came about by, you know, people working on assembly things um, where you could see it. You could see it. You could touch it. Um, a lot of the work we do as quality professionals are things where we find out after the fact a patient got an infection, a patient got pneumonia, a patient had a drug reaction um, or, you know, some other kind of, of reaction that, we we can't just go watch those patients and see it. We have to use more science, and and that's where um, sometimes as quality professionals we get in too big a hurry and we don't really take the time to use the the science and the statistics to help us really understand the the cause and effect relationship. Absolutely, that's great great input there. And uh, Chuck would love to since we're kind of touching on it, but um, what are some changes going on right now across the healthcare industry? that you are excited about, and what role do you see quality professionals playing to um, promote it or to support its overall longevity? So one of the, the things I mentioned uh, a few minutes ago was that, you know, I started in healthcare back in the 70s, um, and there, you know, we had a very different view. Quality was kind of assumed, um, you know, if you went to the hospital, you assumed they had good quality. Um, today, quality is so much more explicit you know, we have paper performance. Um, we have payer contracts where they have very specific quality measures that, you know, you have to perform to. Um, we have patients who are going online, uh, you know, billboards with uh, waiting times in EDs, um, various websites where you can see, you know, hospital's mortality rate for, for a particular kind of surgery or infection rates and, and things that, um, to me, now quality is much more customer-driven or patient-driven um, or, you know, in some cases payer-driven, um, but I guess they're customers too. Um, and, and I think that focus on quality, which in some ways is a more traditional focus, right? It's the focus a uh, General Electric or a McDonald's has, right? They're driven by quality from externally, not their own idea of quality. Um, that's a real boon to quality professionals because those are the people who can help an organization meet those demands. And, and I think as this, you know, kind of external focus uh, intensifies, I think the, the need and the use of quality professionals is going to continue to grow. Um, I'm working with an organization right now um, as a consultant, and one of the things they mentioned was, you know, we have these organizational units and we're having some problems, and so we assigned a quality professional to each unit to help them work through those things. And I thought, now that's something that really wouldn't have happened 10 years ago. Um, and that's a great use of quality professionals, focused on an individual business unit's quality issues. 
Well, let me ask you this, Chuck. I'm going to go a little bit off script with this next question, but what do you see to be the uh, alignment, the relationship between, you know, the quality and the quality improvement opportunities with a lot of these healthcare organizations and strategic plans? Because a, a lot of, you know, the way you laid out, you know, your, your response there, um, what I see is also strategically, you know, healthcare organizations have to plan for it. And then, you know, to your example, you know, assigning quality professionals to help them get certain things done. But how would you connect the dots between those two very, very important elements, quality and strategy? Uh, so, uh, Jarvis, I think you've hit on, to me, one of the biggest, um, I'll say, opportunities um, for healthcare organizations is they don't always connect those dots. Um, you know, I find organizations who have, you know, payer contracts, for example, or clear demands for certain kinds of, you know, certain quality metrics and improvements in quality, and yet they don't have a clear plan of how to go about that and how to deploy their quality resources. I I personally think that's a huge opportunity. I'm working with some folks right now um, in some of those things, but but that, as as hospitals get better at planning strategically to improve, Right to be a better organization, I think they'll connect those dots much more than uh, than they have in the past. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of times strategic planning has been a lot more about growth and you know financial stuff than it has been about how to get better in terms of our patient care. All right, perfect. No, I, I'm right there with you. I, I think that's one of the things that I want to um, really see not just quality professionals plug in more, but you know healthcare leaders, administrators, and you know, better connect those dots because I, I think you're spot on with, you know, our needs as, as healthcare um, organizations and healthcare leaders to better connect the dots and, and the definitions of quality is changing all the time as more regulations come out, as more data, more public sharing of information. So um, I, I just can't see that being a disconnect for too much longer. Hopefully we'll get there sooner. Yeah, I agree. All right, perfect. So I appreciate you for uh, letting me go off script a little bit there. Uh, you handled that that curveball pretty well. Um, let me ask you this next question, Chuck, is what do you think the healthcare industry at large can do to become a more attractive place for, you know, us ambitious, talented, quality professionals to start a career, to grow our careers long term? Well, I, I think first as, the, as hospitals have more of this pressure, um, on quality, I think they'll become more attractive by the fact that they put more emphasis on quality. I, you know, I don't think I've ever met anybody who went into the quality kind of profession um, to make a lot of money. I mean, it's about people wanting to do good, um, and they want organizations where they can do that. Um, there are certainly organizations in the country today, healthcare organizations, where that's true, where they have a strong focus on quality. Um, you know, people who've won the Malcolm Baldrige Quality Award, for example. And, and I had the opportunity to work with, in the past, with a couple of those organizations. And, and I think anybody would want to be a quality professional in those organizations. Um, but until healthcare kind of gets there, uh, I think as quality professionals, if you, if you really want to have a career that's meaningful, you've got to seek out the organizations who are there. Um, and, and kind of avoid the ones who aren't because, unfortunately, um, when you get in the ones who aren't, while there's a lot of good stuff to do, um, you know, they may never really, they may not realize that potential for a while. I started to say they would never realize it, but 
I'm sure with the pressure they're going to, um, but it may take longer than than you know it it really should. I wish we had this conversation a few years ago. I, I've been on kind of both sides of that bucket where you know organizations truly truly focus on quality, and organizations just checking the check mark for quality. And um, I've had you know interesting experiences on both sides. So um, live and learn. But I, I definitely think that's some great feedback for uh, for some of our listeners who are still in the throes of getting their careers up and running. Chuck, you're doing great. Just uh, want to go ahead and, and move us into what we call our two-minute drills, kind of our, our rapid-fire Q&A part of the uh, interview here. So are you ready to get going? I'm ready. First question, tell our quality people something about your current role and your current work that inspires you to do your best day in and day out as a quality professional. Well, as I mentioned, you know, I have a, today I have a solo consultancy, which really lets me work with organizations um, on situations about improving their quality, their processes. Um, and for me, the satisfaction comes from thinking about and seeing how we affect patient care, um, whether that's, you know, getting a patient, you know, in to see their physician faster um, or, you know, reducing the bloodstream infections. Um, it's all about, you know, at the end of a particular project, um, can I look at that and say, Hey, I, I, you know, I made a difference there. And what is the best piece of career advice that you've ever received? Be an expert or become an expert. Um, and now I'm not sure I'm an expert yet, so let me just say that. Um, but that has really taken me on kind of a journey of, of constant learning. And, and through that, I've built a body of knowledge um, that has brought me some professional respect, right? I'm, I'm, I'm not a nurse. I'm not a, a lab you know, scientist. I'm not a radiology tech, um, but I have a body of knowledge that I'm proficient in that I can apply along with those folks' body of knowledge to get something done. And, and I found, for me, that has really worked well. Um, obviously, you know, four decades. So, you know, but it, that was some of the best advice is really learn your craft um and, you know, focus on that as a craft and it'll take you a long way. And, and I, you know, I would give that advice to anybody today. No, I, I love that one. That one's going to get, like, big, bold highlights. And I, I truly believe very similar mindset as quality professionals bringing our talents to healthcare. So um, I, I love that advice there. Um, next question I have for you is, uh, do you have a mentor that has made an impact on your career path? Well, actually, Jarvis, I, I had two at different points. Um, one was a guy named Paul Wu, who I worked for at Roanoke Memorial Hospital back in the 70s. Um, he's the one who challenged me to really know my craft and really get good at it and to also never think that something was too difficult or something was impossible, to, to have that kind of perspective of we can do it. Uh, and, and the second was a, a gentleman named Jeff Wood, who I, I worked with later in my career. Um, Jeff was hands down the best leader I have ever seen, and my leadership skills took a huge leap forward. Um, you know, even to this day, I strive to be, you know, a good a leader and teacher um, as Jeff was for me um, when I worked with him. All right. Well, I hope uh, when we get a chance to officially launch the show, um, just because of the shout-outs that you give to them, make sure you uh, send the material their way. Let them know. Uh, let them know the impact they've had for you. Next question I have for you is: uh, Please share a personal habit that contributes to your success when leading quality initiatives. So, so Jarvis, I. I 
I have a quote by a guy named Hugh Blair um, that, that I, I have right in front of me, and, and it says, He who every morning plans the transactions of the day and follows out that plan carries a thread that will guide him through the labyrinth of a most busy life. Um, and that's what I try to do. Every day I take my to-do list, I look at it, and I highlight one, two, or three, never more than three things, and that's what I focus on getting done or you know, moving down the, the path every day. When I come to a crossroads, you know, one of those three or two whatever highlighted items, that's what I'm going to work on. And, and for me, that has been really helpful about keeping me focused on, you know, what's important and not getting pulled off track into the whirlwind of all the urgent but unimportant things that happen every day. Oh, oh I love that mindset. I, I will be stealing that one personally following this show. And this is maybe kind of connected to that last answer you just shared, but um, what would be then one Internet resource that you use that helps you to be the most productive? Um, well, you know, I don't know that I have kind of a specific website or, or thing that, that really helps me, um, but Google. Uh, I mean, I use Google probably ten times a day to either find out something that I should know about, but maybe I don't, um, or to relearn something. I mean, one of the things as we get older and we've done this for a long time, a lot of times we've got to go back and, and rebrush up on things that we, you know, maybe knew more of 10 years ago. Um, so, like I said, it's, it seems simple, but, you know, I, I use Google probably as much as a millennial does. The next question I have for you is, could you please share uh, with our quality people one professional association and one professional conference that you think would be a value add? Um, well, on the conference side, lately um, I've been um, getting a lot out of a conference called the Business Transformation and Operational Excellence Summit, or BTOGS. Um, now, it's a conference that has all kinds of businesses, um, but it does have a healthcare track. And uh, I found that the quality of the discussion at these particular conferences um, is just top-notch. It's better than, than many other conferences I've gone to. And the quality of the presentations is absolutely great. Um, you know, you can learn a lot from the presentations, and you can learn even more in talking with the speakers and the participants because they all bring a huge kind of body of knowledge um, to the table. Whether that's your, whether you're talking with, um, you know, someone from from Sutter Healthcare or Sharp Healthcare, or you're talking with somebody from Google or um, Best Buy or Walmart, um, there's a lot to be learned in, in that particular conference. Um, as for a professional association, I, I don't know that I have one that I um, maybe would, would recommend above others. I'm a member of the American Society for Quality. I think certainly if you want a big quality perspective, that's a good one. Um, you know, you can't go wrong with anything associated with IHI. Um, but there are a lot of really good professional associations, I think, for, for healthcare professionals. Um, that they can benefit from. I think the key is to find one that, that works for you in terms of not just the intellectual content, but also sometimes the geography. Could you please recommend one book that our listeners will benefit from and why? Um, so, so lately I've been recommending uh, a guy, Joseph Paris, a um, book called State of Readiness. Um, it's about um, operational excellence as a precursor or a necessary condition to high reliability organizations. And that's something I see a lot of hospitals trying to become high reliability organizations. And as a patient who sometimes has to go to a hospital, I would like them to be that. 
Um, and his book really covers a, a, just a, a variety of topics that kind of flow into that. And he does it in a way that I think is really helpful um, if you're kind of starting kind of that high reliability journey um, or if you really want to understand how some you know, tools and techniques fit into or, or kind of lay the foundation for that. That's a wonderful, wonderful recommendation there. Um, that is definitely uh, the up-and-coming trend, and I, I think it's going to be more than just a trend. I think this is going to be the direction of future healthcare around high reliability. So I um, love the book recommendation there. Chuck, we're almost there, and uh, we're moving now to a question that is a personal favorite for me because I am going to uh, get you to simultaneously reflect on your past while looking forward to your future. So let's say that you're able to send one text message to yourself 10 years into the past and one text message to yourself 10 years into the future. Take a few seconds and think about it, but what would you communicate to yourself in each of those messages? Well, at 10 years in, in the past, I think, is certainly easier for me. Um, and and that would be, I would text myself to focus on the work you enjoy and don't be pulled off track. Um, you know, that uh, had had I done that better, I think I would have had a much happier, you know, career, though, you know, I can't, certainly can't complain. But, but that idea of focusing on the work you enjoy, um, that's something I wish I'd kind of had in front of me more 10 years ago. Um, ten years into the future, and you know, I would be in my seventies, so uh, I don't know. I, I'm not quite sure. Maybe, maybe I would text myself that I, I hope you feel fulfilled and you're enjoying your retirement. It's something worth looking forward to, if nothing else. Absolutely, Chuck. I, I honestly cannot thank you enough. Um, it was a great conversation. I've really enjoyed um, talking and learning from you today, and I, I know. When we get the show posted, all of our listeners will, will feel very much the same way. Um, would love to go ahead and end the conversation, end this uh, call with you today, with you giving our quality people a parting piece of advice and share with them maybe the best way that they can uh, follow you or connect with you through social media, and then we'll sign off. Sure. Um, I think, you know, one piece of, of advice um, to me it, it, Everything we do in quality is really about reducing avoidable suffering. Um, I think if you focus on that and you focus on how well you've done it, um, it will keep you positive. Um, the quality, as, as we talked about earlier, um, is a profession where you have a lot of opportunity to see some bad things, and um, that can really weigh on you over time, and, and I think that's what makes the job very difficult, but but I think if you focus on that positive aspect of how much you've done to redu reduce that avoidable suffering, um, I think it'll help you have a long career, and I think it'll help you take, you know, pleasure home versus kind of the the negative stuff. Um, as far as uh, social media, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, it's probably the best way to kind of follow me or or connect with me um, for your for your listeners. All right, and on LinkedIn, it is under uh, Chuck the Bus, correct? Correct. Um, Chuck, thank you so much again. I look forward to um, sharing more information with you as we move forward with getting um, today's conversation posted, but um, I look forward to also just maybe reaching out to you and staying connected long-term. This was a very, very inspirational discussion, so I appreciate everything you shared today. Well, thank you. That would be great. Thank you. Quality people, thank you so much again for plugging in with today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to share it using the social media link posted in the notes below. 
I'd also be very grateful if you could subscribe, give us a rating, and also share feedback on what additional value we can bring to you through this podcast. That helps a lot with our show rankings and also with getting this great content out to healthcare leaders around the world. And if you want to engage with me directly, then please connect with me on LinkedIn, where I share additional resources, access to our QI community, and much more. All right, quality people, thank you again, and I'll see you back here next week when I introduce you to another quality guest.